So I want to say again, in case you missed it at the beginning, there is a meal after service today, and everyone is encouraged and welcome to join us for it. Easter is a funny thing, because it can kind of sneak up on us, can't it? Now, all of us struggle, no matter how long we've been in the faith. All of us struggle with those times that our faith goes stale. And, and for whatever reason, the, the joy or the freshness that we felt before when we worship, when we read scripture, it just, it just kind of fades. And usually we have times where that, that happens and then it gets better and it happens again and it gets better and that's a pretty common thing for people to experience. And if we're, if we're in one of those places, it's easy for us to be distracted by the things going on in life, by our day-to-day routines and commitments, that we miss that Easter's coming and it just kind of sneaks up on us. And if that happens, if Easter sneaks up on us, then one of the, one of the effects of that is we're not able to really prepare ourselves like we might want to, to be able to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So we have this season of Lent. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter where we we take time to connect to the 40 days that Jesus fasted when he was in the wilderness. And our our reason for that is we want to aim our hearts, we want to fix our hearts on Jesus going to Jerusalem to die for our sins, and to be raised to life three days later. And that's this purpose of Lent, to call our attention, to fix our hearts on Jesus. And so Lent is about self-denial. And that leads us to the single sentence summary of our sermon today. Wow, that is a lot of S's. The single sentence summary uh, for the sermon today is that our faith is refreshed by surrender. Our faith is refreshed by surrender. And that's actually going to be the subject of this sermon series that we're in, that we're beginning today. It's called Surrender. Because what we find that gets in the way of the thing that's most important to us, the thing that gets in the way of of our relationship or connection or discipleship of Jesus is ourselves, our priorities. We're twisted up inside because we're not the way we're supposed to be. And so we get pulled in different directions. We get distracted and tempted. And we lose sight of what's most important. And so we have to surrender those things that distract us. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we go forward. Next week, my father-in-law will be here to speak. Kind of in that that spirit of having different voices in the pulpit. He's going to talk about when Jacob wrestled with God. And talk to us about acknowledging, connecting to, realizing the presence of God. And then we're going to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and this, this famous sermon that Jesus gave where he talks about what Christian life is supposed to be like. Because every time he gives us a command, what comes with it, whether it's said or not, is something that we have to give up, something that we have to surrender. So, as we dive into a series about surrender, we start with Jesus going out to the wilderness. Jesus. 
Thank you, Elena, for reading the passage this morning. I want to give you a little bit of background before we dive in. Jesus has just been baptized, and it was an amazing moment. He he understands who he is. He understands the calling that he has from God. And so when he comes to John the Baptist, who also understands who he is, John says, wait a second, shouldn't I be baptized by you? And Jesus says, no, no, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness, which, which means something like, this is what God has planned and called us to, so this is the way we need to do it. And so like Samuel anointed King David, John baptizes Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit descends. And it's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus has the power to perform the miracles that we see throughout the Gospels. And as soon as the Spirit settles on him and in him, the Father from heaven speaks forward and says, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. And then our passage begins. So verse 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The very first thing that Jesus has to do after his baptism was contend with the devil. And this is an important part of the story, but it's also an important part of our story because it seems to me that when we have those mountaintop experiences, when everything seems to be going right, it's then that we're most vulnerable to temptation. It's then that we're most vulnerable to everything going wrong if we lose sight of Jesus. So, this is where Jesus shows us first that our faith is refreshed and empowered by surrender. Because he fasts for 40 days. So after verse 1 comes the most obvious verse in the entire Bible. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, surprise, surprise, he was hungry. What a weird thing for Matthew to say. Why was that even necessary to put in? I don't think it was an afterthought. I think it's there on purpose. Because on one hand, of course, we don't need to be told that a man's going to be hungry after not eating for 40 days. If you were to not eat for 40 days, I expect you would be pretty hungry too. But this is a reminder to us that Jesus is human. He's really human. He's fully human. He's also God, and really God, and fully God, and he's those things at the same time. And one of the things that means is that he can be hungry. The fast was hard. So why did he do it? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, here's the Son of God getting ready to contend with the evil one. If anyone is prepared for this, we would think that it would be Jesus, right? Why does he fast in the wilderness? I think that Jesus fasted because he knew that fasting, going without food, provided an opportunity for him to draw close to God, to draw closer to God. We see this through the Old Testament when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he spends that time in the presence of God in this this powerful, wonderful way that we get the Ten Commandments from. 
He fasts for 40 days while he's on the mountain. And when Elijah is getting ready to go to the mountain of the Lord to be in his presence and to hear from him, he fasts for 40 days on his way to the mountain. Fasting prepares us to be aware of God's presence by forcing us to remember that God's sustaining presence is much more important than food or water or anything else. Let me say that again. Fasting prepares us to be aware of God's presence by forcing us to remember that His sustaining presence is much more important than food or water or anything else. And so we come to Lent. I'm going to give you a fair warning. At the end of this message today, I'm going to challenge you to give something up for Lent. And I want you to take a moment now and think about it. When I, when I say that, that you're going to be challenged to give something up for Lent, how do you feel? Some of you might be interested. Maybe you've never done it before. Some of you might think I do it every year. This is nothing new. But I imagine a fair number of us kind of groan inside at the idea. Maybe you don't like giving up something for Lent because you feel like it's an empty ritual. A lot of things that we do can sometimes feel that way, like empty rituals. And if you said that to me, I'd say, yep. Giving up something for Lent can be an empty ritual. But here we are anyway, and I'm going to challenge you anyway. And if you were to ask me why I would challenge you when it can be an empty ritual, I'd say this, that it doesn't have to be an empty ritual. I'm going to explain what I mean, and I'm going to do it in kind of a weird way. I want to talk about Lent by first talking about the season of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. If you've been at this church for very long at all, you know that during Advent, those weeks leading up to Christmas, we're intentional in every church service to talk about the coming of Christmas. We have a period of time at the beginning of service where, where we make it present, where we light a candle, where we have someone come up and read a passage that connects us to the birth of Jesus in a real way. The reason we do that is because all of us have had those experiences where Christmas sneaks up on us. When Christmas sneaks up on us, we feel a little guilty. There might be a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons we might feel a little guilty is because Christmas can make us feel grumpy, especially if it's snuck up on us. If it's December 23rd and you haven't thought about the things that you need to buy or the food that you need to make, or the rooms in your house that you have to make clean because company is coming and they're going to be in the kitchen and they're going to be in the living room, but they're not going to see the bedroom so everything can go in there, right? If you're having that thought for the first time a few days before Christmas, you're going to be a little aggravated. And then you might feel a little guilty. But there might be another reason, too. Because we know that Christmas is important. I mean, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? That's, that's kind of a big deal. And if we find ourselves with a faith that feels stale, if we find ourselves stuck in that place where Christmas is coming and we don't feel any closer to God than we usually do, 
We feel like we're doing something wrong. We feel like we're missing something important. And we feel guilty. And that is exactly the reason that we celebrate Advent. We take time during each service to remember the birth of Jesus. We focus on the stories in Scripture which prepare the way for the birth of Jesus. And each week we focus on a theme connected to the birth of Jesus, either hope or peace or joy or love. And hopefully through all that, we find that our hearts are being prepared to celebrate, to really celebrate the coming of our Lord. And we hope that we get kind of caught up in the story of Scripture and the Gospel. That's what Advent's supposed to do, and it's also what Lent and a Lenten fast are supposed to do. The purpose of Lent has always been this. For the people of God to fix their attention on Jesus as He heads toward Jerusalem to die for our sins and to come back, to be resurrected. It's how the church prepares its heart for Easter. It's how we make sure that we're prepared to celebrate, to really celebrate the resurrection in a way we wouldn't be able to if Easter just snuck up on us. It's how we make sure we're not in that place where we're sitting here on Easter service and our hearts are unprepared and we feel like we just aren't ready. We feel guilty because the gospel story doesn't feel any more real to us than it did before. See, here's how, here's how Lent works. It's about self-denial. You choose something to give up. And it can be something that's bad for you. A lot of times people do that. They give up a food in particular that's bad for them. And that's great, but it doesn't have to be something that's bad for you. It can be related to food, but it doesn't have to be related to food. And it definitely shouldn't be. It should not be something that's very good for you or that someone else is relying on you for. For example, if you're thinking about giving up exercise for Lent, I'm sorry, you shouldn't use Lent as an excuse to not exercise. If you're thinking about giving up doing laundry for Lent, you might find that your friendships just aren't as strong as they were before you began the practice, right? And when you're thinking about what you should give up, you should, you should know a few things. First, you should know this. If you're thinking about giving up food for Lent, be careful. Make your goal something you can do. If you've not practiced a fast before, it's not a good idea for you to say, I'm going to fast from food every other day. Right? Don't, don't take it too big. And if you're a young person, if you're in high school especially, or younger, don't give up any meals. Don't give up food. Give up something else. Because that's not a good habit to develop as a young person to to try not to eat when you're supposed to. You should give up something, though, that's part of your routine. If you're giving up something for Lent, give up something that's part of your daily routine. And then every time you want the thing you've given up, when you feel that, if it's food, every time you feel hungry, if it's television, every time you would normally watch it, if it's watching the news or, or all that time you play games on your phone or whatever it is, every time you would normally do it, every time you want to do it, you want to be intentional about reminding yourself of the suffering that Jesus went through for you. 
You want to connect to the gospel story. And that draws you in and it strengthens your heart and your commitment against the temptations that you will encounter over and over again in life. But you want to be wise. Here's a good example of what not to do. So a few years ago, one of my professors at school talked about how for Lent he always gave up putting cream and sugar in his coffee because the black coffee would kind of remind him of the bitterness of sin. And I thought, well, that sounds like a really good idea. So I started out Lent that way. I, I gave up cream and sugar. And if you know me, I like lots of cream and sugar in my coffee. And at the beginning of Lent, I'll tell you, I felt the same thing. I was reminded of the bitterness of sin every morning as I drank my coffee. Here's the problem. You get used to black coffee. So by the end of Lent, I was like, ah, it's not too bad. Which was not how I was supposed to be thinking about the bitterness of sin, right? So, so you want to be wise about what you give up. And if you need to change what you've given up partway through Lent, change it. It's not something that you can't move. It's not something that you can't course correct. Give up something wisely. A Lent fast is designed to do two things. First, and this is true of any fast, the act of giving something up for a specific period of time is a tool to help you draw closer to God. Temptation and, and the turning away from God to give in to temptation has been part of the human story from the beginning. And when we fast, we practice not giving in to temptation. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. I think we have it on the screen. And Genesis chapter 3 reads this way, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Sorry, Adam's to blame too. And he ate it. The basic human story of temptation to sin is being undone when we fast. You're preparing your heart to resist that temptation to turn from God, that temptation that you experience in many ways every day of your life. And you're reminding yourself that it is God that you need more than anything else. We need God more than we need our next breath, more than we need the next beating of our heart. We need Him. And when we give something up, we practice remaining in that, committing and connecting to our need for Him. You'll also notice, and this is interesting, that Jesus goes through the exact same temptations as Adam and Eve. The devil tempts Adam and Eve with food and with pride. And he tempts Jesus in the exact same way. And Jesus overcame. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, those of us who belong to God and receive His Holy Spirit, and by its power, we can overcome as well. Jesus fasted to remind and prepare Himself for God's presence. When you fast, you're fasting for the same reason. There's a second thing that a fast during Lent does. It prepares our hearts for Easter. I, I mentioned faith going stale a few times, and some of you have heard me talk about this before. I want to talk about it a bit more. What I mean by that, a faith gone stale, is you believe in Him. You haven't, you haven't given up your belief in God, but, but He feels distant. The things that used to energize and freshen your faith just aren't. Maybe you come and you sing and, and you sing every word and you believe every word, but you just, you're just not stirred like you used to be. Maybe you read and you read the same words of Jesus you read before and wept and you just, you don't connect to them. Maybe you do the things that you know you want to do and you're supposed to do, but when you come to church, you're just, you're just coming to church. You don't feel like you're coming to connect with God. That's what a faith gone stale is like. And you remember a time when it was different. You think to yourself, it hasn't always been this way. What am I doing wrong? And then a lot of the times we feel guilty. We feel ashamed, and so we don't want to tell anyone that we're in the middle of this place. You might know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe that's you here this morning. A couple of things. First, we need to know this. God is not more distant, no matter how you feel or how far from you He seems. Many of you have heard me say this several times, but we tend to think that God is on this swivel chair, right? When we do all the things we're supposed to do, when we behave and live like good Christians, then, then He turns and faces and smiles down on us. But when we make a mistake or when we're, we're caught up in a struggle, we, he turns. We tend to think that that's how it works. He, he turns away from us if we're not the good Christians we feel like we're supposed to be. But there is nothing that could be further from the truth. God looks on you with love from the moment of your birth till the moment of your death and then forever afterwards. He loves you. When he's seeming distant, he's not pulled away. Something's happening in you. God is not on a swivel chair. And another thing I want you to know about that feeling of staleness, and I can't say this enough, I believe it happens to everyone. You might be sitting here this morning and think, I've never had a period like that. God has always been present to me, and that is wonderful. That is a gift from God. You should not feel like there's anything wrong with you. But I suspect that most of you sitting here know exactly what kinds of times I'm talking about. And if you're in the midst of one of those periods, I want to remind you that our faith is refreshed by surrender. Our faith is refreshed. I surrender. And that's what holy habits like fasting are. 
They're opportunities to surrender part of ourselves to God, to be refreshed and renewed. And fasting isn't the only one of these that you can do, of course. Your, your devotional plan, right? Reading scripture on a regular basis, that's a holy habit that's an act of surrender. You submit, you put yourself in front of God's word and you accept it repeatedly over and over again. Or you take time, special time through your day to step into the throne room of God in prayer. That's an act of surrender too. But fasting, something we don't talk about very often in Lent, is a special time for that particular holy habit. It's when you give something up and you connect deeply to the presence of God. During Lent, it's when you, you focus, you orient, you grab hold of the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Of course, these can be empty rituals. If you give something up just to give something up, it's empty. If Lent is only an opportunity to diet, it's empty. If Lent is only a time to give up something so that you can say you gave up something, so that people are really impressed by what you gave up, it's empty. The same is true of reading your Bible. The same is true of taking time to pray. They become empty when you're just doing them to do them. And from the outside looking in, a lot of our practices with church can seem that way. We sing songs every week. We listen to sermons every week. We put money in an offering plate every week. Aren't those just empty rituals? The answer, of course, is they can be. But you know what? I tell my wife I love her every day, usually more than once. And just because I do it over and over and over again doesn't mean it's empty. Repetition doesn't mean it's empty. Having a purpose or feeling like it's something you should do doesn't mean it's empty. It's only empty if it's not part of a connection. When I tell my wife I love her, I mean it. That's why it's not empty. When we sing to God, we're really singing to Him. That's why it's not empty. And if you give up something for Lent, it's out of a desire, it should be out of a desire to deeply connect to Him, to Easter, to the Gospel story. And if it's for that reason, it's not empty. Now I want to say this as a warning. Just because you're giving up something for Lent doesn't mean that by the end of Lent you're going to feel like God was closer than ever before. Sometimes that does happen. In my experience, when I make a plan like that and I stick to it, there is a change if I'm in one of those periods where he feels distant. But it isn't always, and it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It just means you need more holy habits. But I want to challenge you as you go forward this week, this month, all the way to Easter. Choose something and give it up. And you should tell someone about it, someone who can help you remember, who can call you on it when you're cheating, 
right? That's the worst and the best thing that you can do. It's the worst because if you've given up chocolate and you really wish you hadn't given up chocolate and you have that moment of weakness, someone will say, wait a minute, what are you doing? And in that moment, you're both grateful and really upset, right? You should tell someone. At the same time, you shouldn't broadcast it. Not everyone should know what you gave up for Lent. Because when you do that, you're getting something else out of it. You get that recognition. And it's better for you if that doesn't happen. So choose something. Give it up for Lent. Be intentional during this time. Take in the gospel stories. Read the stories of Jesus' last week. Read the stories of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Read them over and over again. And I think you'll find that at the end of it, when it comes time for Easter, that your heart is prepared in the way you want it to be to celebrate and remember Him. The purpose of a Lenten fast is to connect deeply to Jesus and to orient our heart on Him. And if our faith is stale, we ought to remember that our faith is refreshed by surrender. Pray with me. Father God, we come before You thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you this morning. And we ask that you would give us wisdom, give us discernment on what we should give up during this time. Lord, help us to choose well. Give us the courage to share with someone else so that they can hold us accountable and encourage us when we need it. And Lord, when we feel the sting that comes with having given something up and wanting it, Connect us to you. Draw us toward you. Remind us of what you went through for us. And prepare our hearts to experience the joy, the wonder, the new life that's made possible by Easter. We pray these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.